We'd like to introduce and thank Hughes Castell, a premier legal search firm in Asia and a pioneer in legal and compliance search in Greater China since 1986. Hughes Castell's trusted brand name gives it unparalleled ability to engage top-level legal talent in a broad spectrum of industries and commerce, including top Fortune 500 corporations, banks, and international law firms. I know I've personally worked with Hughes Castell before both as a candidate and as a client. I can assure everyone that their level of service is absolutely excellent through and through. So we spent 12 hours and we drank a bottle of wine and we noted down all of the discussions we were having and did a big mind map of all the problems that we could solve. And making a storage that is suiting the daily energy shifting, that's one purpose of our mission. And the second is make it cheap. And making a storage that is suiting the daily energy shifting, that's one purpose of our mission. And the second is make it cheap. I think we're in an interesting niche between an existing technology that's very well proven and a new and innovative archetype for that. One, one key, key to success for us is a speed, speed of development. Yeah, that's a good thing to be in China right now at this stage of the company. Welcome to the Building China podcast series. We are talking about the dynamic startup environment in China and sharing about startup and startup founders' stories. So I'm your host, Jing Liu, together with our article today. And we are also very glad to be joined by our very exciting startup, Kinetic, with the co-founders, Michael Pratt, the CEO, and also Loek Bastar, the CTO. So. Maybe Art and uh, our co-founders can introduce a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, sure. First of all, thanks a lot for having us. Really appreciate being here today. So my name's Mike Pratt, or Michael Pratt. I'm from the UK, but I've been living here in China for nearly 12 years, 12 years next year. And my background is design and engineering. So I've been working in product design and development for years. My specialism is taking design requirements and research inputs and turning those into a finished product that's meant for mass production. So I've been doing that for a consultancy all my career, first in the UK and then in China for the last decade or so. And mostly in healthcare devices. So typically things you wouldn't see, things used by a doctor or a surgeon and purchased by a hospital, which meant I spent quite a bit of time going in and out of hospitals and witnessing surgery and things like that, and then trying to come up with better products that are easier to use by surgeons and this kind of thing. So that's been my career focus all along until last year, when Louis and I decided to decided we wanted to work together, and then we set up a company on the basis of that decision. Hello, hmm. Yes, my name is Louis Bastard. I'm a French citizen. You probably can notice. <laughs> so I'm a mechanical engineer as well. I have a different specialty. I'm a specialist in numerical analysis or mechanical design of complex systems. I've been in China for eight years now. And my specialty is really on, the, on designing, as I said, complex products using simulation and numerical analysis. I've been working 10 years in Siemens in Europe. And then I've been hired by a Chinese company, which is called Envision, Envision Energy. I've been working for them as a head of department for simulation and analysis for six years. 
And in 2021, in April, I decided to quit the company Envision and start a bicycle trip from May to Shangri-La. It was wow. 6,000 kilometers for during three months. So while I was cycling from Shanghai to Yunnan, Mike was in Shanghai creating the company Kinetic. And at the end of this bicycle trip, when I arrived at Shangri-La, Mike joined me for the last few days and we cycled together and came back together. Yeah, so that actually is an interesting story because that Louis' bike trip, which started off on a bike, ended on a train. And when I went to meet him in Yunnan, that point was the birth of the company really because we decided to take this train journey back to Shanghai which is not that logical normally you would fly because the train journey is about 12 hours or so but we did that deliberately because we wanted to sit down and discuss together all the things that we had discussed a little bit in the past and brainstorm what the company should do because we started the company with no idea actually what it was going to actually be uh, originally, we were just going to be consultants doing our doing the jobs that we were already doing. So we spent 12 hours and we drank a bottle of wine and we noted down all the discussions we were having and did a big mind map of all the problems that we could solve. We asked a question, which was, if we are old men looking back on our lives and we had this company, what did it do? What did it achieve that was useful or important for civilization? So we posed that question and then just went all around the different possible answers until we had exhausted ourselves and, and just had a relaxing journey for the rest of it. But we ended up with this kind of treasure of ideas and that was the birth of the company. But you made a decision at that, that night with the bottle of wine that you, you, you had, the, you had the, the complete vision there or was there? No, not at all. Just, we, just a bunch of ideas. Just yeah, a, nebulous, ideas. Oh, yeah, yeah. A, a nebulous bunch of ideas. But what we had figured out is that we, uh, we were well aligned on wanting to do something useful for the future. Yeah. But it, what it was going to be, we had no idea. And that was quite an interesting predicament, right? Normally a company starts around an idea, yeah. pre-existing <coughs> product or a service or something. Yeah. Okay, let's build a company that can do that. But we started the company and then we had a question mark, which was quite a nice thing to have, actually. And a lot of uncertainty. You don't normally have that much uncertainty with what you're doing. Um, but it was quite exciting just to, to not know. People kept asking us, what is the company going to do? And we kept saying, we don't know. And then people would laugh at us. And, 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 and Solve a really big problem. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. We, we gave a very vague answer. Are we going to do something that we think is going to be helpful for the future? Yes. And everyone would say, yeah, what? And, but well, we'll figure that out. So is that how you come up with this really like quite impressive but very big manifesto to me? Original goal of Kinetic is to help humanity transition to a sustainable civilization on Earth, which is your fundamental good. Yeah, that came later actually, a little bit later in the journey. I think the first, as Mike said, the, we really wanted to work together and we asked all, all those bunch of ideas, but our first goal was to be consultant and still work for our respective companies, earn money and in the background think about what could be the product we would be working on. But in, so in October, when, when we came back from this trip, Mike went back to his job but I was fully full-time for the, for, Kinetic, for the company. So my plan was to work for Envision as a consultant but it took two months for, the, for Envision to uh, to hire me for administrative reason, basically. So I was on my own and with a lot of time. So I started to, to, to model different possibilities to store energy because energy was, in this mind map we, we created, 
the energy question took uh, quite quite a lot of place and a lot of potential in our idea and so our to work on energy so uh, start working on um, how to store energy and uh, Mike came with this idea of what about flywheel energy storage or mechanical energy storage and it's not <laughs> But still, I did some calculation and, uh, and actually it started to make sense. And uh, yeah, from that, we went to, the, to defining this product, Flywheel, and, uh, and realized that there was a potential to develop a company around this product. Mm-hmm. And that's where we really sat down on the defining, we have a product maybe we can work on now, let's build the foundation of the company. Yeah, and this manifesto, it came about while this was still a bit blurry and we were still working on the concept, we went to Sanya on holiday. So we were sitting on a sort of beachfront cafe and doing some work on our laptops and so on. And one of the jobs that we wanted to do during this trip was to try to align ourselves and articulate what it was the company was trying to do, this kind of mission or manifesto. But it wasn't specific to a product or anything like that. It was more the theoretical goals of the company, something like that. So we'd had a few conversations about that but we hadn't written anything down. So I sat down and tried to write on one sheet of paper how the company should behave and what are the sort of the guiding lights of the company as we progress. Because by that point, I think we, we had the sense that if we built this flywheel energy storage system, it would necessitate a big company. And we thought, that's interesting. We've got to go from being two guys to a big company, and that's going to be a long journey. So how do we navigate the journey? So we wrote the manifesto with that in mind. So that line you're referring to is just one line from a page of a full paper. So I sat down and I quickly wrote everything out and tried to be as short and sweet as possible and then handed it to Loic and said, this is what I've got, what do you think? Yeah. And, uh, and he read it yeah. and said, yeah, that's exactly what I want. It's <laughs> difficult to describe the feeling I had when I read that. It was very uh, so aligned with our I thought about a company or a, a company doing good for the world. For the world. And uh, the... The way you wrote it was uh, really beautiful. I invite you to read this manifesto. It made me very emotional at that moment. And I was, yeah, that's clear. It's what we want to do. And that's great. great. Yeah. yeah. I feel the same that way. But mm-hmm. I'm not an engineering background. So maybe you can explain a little bit more what is a flywheel energy storage system? <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, most people, unless they are mechanical engineers or somehow interesting technology will have no idea what that is so it definitely needs a good explanation there are different ways of storing energy and everyone's familiar with batteries now batteries are an electrochemical way of storing energy so you take in electricity and there's a chemical reaction a reversible chemical reaction and you store that energy as a chemical potential and then you can reverse that reaction and get the electricity back out there's another way another common way as well which is where you can have a, two lakes of water and you can have a lower lake and an upper lake maybe a couple hundred meters between them in elevation you can pump the water uphill and hold it up there and then it has gravitational potential energy and then you can let it run back down the hill and you can get the energy back if you use a turbine that the water can flow through so that's a mechanical form of energy storage and that's also what our flywheel energy storage system is doing we're taking electricity and storing it in a mechanical fashion so we take the electricity and we convert it to kinetic energy so we have a motor, and that will spin a, it's a rotor, so basically a spinning object held by a couple of bearings, an upper bearing and a lower bearing, and we have a spinning mass in between. So as you power the motor with electricity, you accumulate speed, in rotation speed, in this uh, rotor. And 
once you're at a very high speed, you can turn the motor off and it'll keep spinning. So that is stored energy, stored as momentum. And then to get the energy back out, the momentum of the rotor will turn the motor, but now it behaves instead of a motor as a generator, and then you get the electricity back out. So it's electricity in, electricity out, but in between you convert it to kinetic energy. I think it's important to talk about also why energy storage is important and why it's uh, answering a, a need for climate change. Actually, the, the main problem of renewables right now, if we wanted to put renewables everywhere and uh, power the, our energy system, our grid, by 100% of renewable, we would have a problem of intermittency. The grid as it is designed right now, you consume what you produce at the moment it's produced. There is almost no storage. So if you have a unit that is with intermittency or sporadically, the energy, then it's not going to work with the grid as it is today. So it's important to, to decouple the production of the renewables with the demand and the use of the energy. That's where storage plays a very important role in the transition of energy. And making a storage that is suiting the daily energy shifting, that's one purpose of our mission. And the second is make it cheap. It needs to be cheap because we want to displace fossil fuel and fossil fuel energy is quite cheap to use today. So the addition of renewable energy plus storage need to come at a price that is interesting for our countries to invest in. So who are going to buy this? Is that like big companies or the country as you mentioned or individuals like us can use it? The product we are designing is really to answer the problem of the grid. It's really large scale. It's not for it's not made for individual or residential energy storage. It's really for green and big scale. So who's going to buy it? A power producer companies or, or companies that are developing projects of energy storage. It could be also companies that are installing wind turbines or installing a solar farm. Like in China, for example, there is a, a law from the government that has passed that is imposing the every wind farm or solar farm to also install energy storage. So in that sense, China is quite advanced compared to other countries in the world. So they're really pushing on energy storage because it's necessary. And it could be also other maybe companies that want to use energy storage to make a business out of it. Because you can buy the electricity. For example, in Europe, you have a price of electricity that is changing during the day. So you can buy electricity at a cheap price, for example, in at noon or during the night, and deliver it when mm -hmm. it's needed. And the difference of price would, would make a nice return of, on investment, especially with the price we are seeing right now in Europe. Is that like some of these uh, solar companies or the solar energies, they are doing that right now, or quite a widely practiced all over the world with that? Yeah, the, actually, no. Uh, the, the solar and the wind companies don't necessarily have an uh, energy storage solution to propose to be coupled with the system. Mm -hmm. But they are working on it. So like they can it. only generate the power, or, yeah. but they cannot store it. Because they sell it to the grid. Yeah. It's really it's a very complex problem because you also have a lot of policies of the way the electricity is bought from renewables. Like for example, in Germany, in Germany, you have a fixed price for renewables. So, whatever the time you're gonna inject the power in the grid, you're gonna be paid a certain price for the energy you give. So, that doesn't necessarily push the energy storage. 
So it all goes together with policies, and, and but that's gonna that's gonna change. That's gonna evolve. Our product will come to market probably in 2026. Right now, the time to develop the technology and the time to develop the industrialization. And by that time, I'm sure the the market will be mature for this for this application. Yeah. Ask one more dumb kind of technological question in the sense that. I know on the one hand, like if you're using natural resources, and if you're using fossil fuels, for example, you can control a bit of the input supply to match the demand as far as a timing perspective. Obviously, more people use electricity during the daytime, right? But with renewables, solar and wind and other things, I imagine you're at the mercy of daylight and you're at the mercy yeah. of the wind directionally and everything like that. So that is that where this, this storage component becomes critical to make renewables more, more f- feasible to, yes. to, to to put into the market. Absolutely, more feasible and also more economically viable. Because, like for example, in California, in US, they pushed a lot on the development of solar, but you can see the price of electricity or the load in terms of the grid network in at noon is full of renewable injecting in the grid with nobody taking it out. So they need to dump the electricity somewhere. And that's becoming a problem. It's wasted. It's wasted, yeah. It's wasted. And yeah, we need energy storage solution that is able to take that and deliver that in the grid. But the solution we have today are more perfect. Yeah, mm. that kind of like uh, I've seen some of the stranger cases, like they generate with this wind power locally, but then they export it to outside the area because it's not good enough to support both the local consumption elsewhere. So it's like local people are still using the fossil or electricity they buy from elsewhere while exporting the local generated wind power. But this so can help solve that local problem, I think. It definitely can, yeah. So the problem with renewables is that Actually, the more you add to the grid, the worse the situation gets for the grid. What you really want is stability on the grid. You want to be able to easily match the supply and demand. But if you have solar that's only there, like it comes on quite suddenly in the daytime, and you have a peak, and then it drops off very suddenly. And wind is somewhat predictable, but it's still going to be going up and down. So this makes a real tough job for the grid operators to maintain supply and demand. So the more storage you have, that's not you can't say the same thing about renewables. Renewables without storage makes the grid worse. But you can have as much storage as you want. It. All you're doing is making the grid easier to manage. Yeah. And if anything, you want to build out storage almost in advance of building out renewables, because then they're not going to be making the grid worse, actually. You can exploit them fully. The, I was going to ask a question about, I think a, a, an obvious question you'll get, and it's a question you could ask to almost any startup, is why hasn't what you're trying to do already been invented, essentially, right? Would it, if it's, if, is it truly that? novel of an idea or is there other technology that goes into it that didn't exist before and now is available or why isn't a bigger company doing this is there some disincentive for them to do it uh, something like that so what's why is there this opportunity in the market it's linked with the necessity to limit the global warming and we've seen that this becomes an urgent matter and it's the last 10 years has been we can see a push from from scientists and from um, uh, politics as well to uh, try to tackle this problem of like climate change. So that to be able to limit the production of green gas emission, we need to radically change the way we are producing energy. First, we need to electrify everything, and we need to make sure our electric the electricity we are using is made in a in a way that is not harming 
the environment or not generating CO2 emissions. So there are not many solutions that are on the table. Right now we have nuclear power, wind power, solar power or hydropower. That's the solution we have. Fusion will come in the future, I hope so. But, and those way of producing energy have a lot of in, either a lot of inertia for nuclear power or they are intermittent, the renewables. Storage becomes such an important part of this equation and it wasn't the case 10 years ago. So it's so urgent right now that what we are doing is we are taking a technology, lithium-ion battery, that exists for cars, that exists for cell phones, that is basically a very dense way to, to store energy. But And we apply it for a grid application, which means we stack those, uh, those power cells into very large scale. That's the best technology we have because it's a mature technology. But is it the best technology for grid? Not necessarily. Actually, the life of a lithium-ion battery is quite low. It can take only 5,000 cycles. So in five years of having two cycles per day, the battery needs to be replaced for a grid-scale application. And do we need this power intensity or power density for a grid storage that is sitting somewhere without moving? Not necessarily. So the advantage of lithium-ion and lithium-ion that is great for electric vehicle is not necessarily great for grid-scale storage, but it's just the best we have right now. So we need to change or to come with new ideas. And I can tell you there are many companies or many research institutes or universities that are working right now on energy storage because it's the next challenge to, to solve. There will be a lot of technology and our technology will be among many technology appearing in the next 10 years. And the market is going to grow so, so much that every technology will have its place and then the best will win the market. But the market demand and the demand for energy storage is the predictions are really big for the next 10 years or 20 years. And do you think that this is that someone else is also working on a techno a solution similar similar to yours? Or is it like I'm trying to get give a sense of the audience of yeah. how revolutionary what you're doing is compared to maybe what other people have tried and couldn't get to work or mm. haven't thought to do yet? We hope so. We hope yeah. there's some other companies working on the same type of technology as us. Otherwise, we're going to look a bit lonely. And it's <laughs> harder to convince people <laughs> if you're true. the only person in the room yeah. who's got a certain technology. So if we're one of a few, that'll be better. And there's going to be a bittersweet day when we come across that a company that announces their product and we think, oh, that looks really similar to what we're doing. Because we'll, on the one hand, feel anxious about that. On the other hand, feel reassured, okay, we're, not, we're no longer standing alone. Yeah. I think we're in an interesting niche between an existing technology that's very well proven and a new and innovative mm -hmm. archetype for that. So traditional flywheels, they have a particular use, which is generally backup power and they tend to be used for a short period of time and high power, and that allows a building to transition over from grid power to like a backup generator, something like that. That is the main use of flywheels. There are other uses such as energy recovery systems in Formula One cars and things like that, but they all have a certain characteristic, which is that they're high power, short duration, quite expensive, quite high tech, try to be quite compact, things like this. So we're not really totally reinventing the wheel, actually, and that's a good thing. Because if we're inventing all these technologies from scratch, then we have a high-risk business and we have a difficult yeah. path ahead of us. So we're quite happy about that. So why aren't, why aren't those companies or why aren't other new companies really doing the same thing as us? Actually, if you do the back of the napkin maths, it doesn't really make much sense. You have to go through the process that Loic and I went through a year ago and actually spend 
quite a lot of time figuring out how to optimize this, the solution if you ask the right question in the first place, which is what's the ideal storage for the, the grid? So if you take one of those flywheels that's meant for backup power and try to scale it up because you think there's an opportunity there if you make that product, it won't really work. Yeah. You'll end up with something that's still way, way too expensive and badly configured for that purpose. And the, what we like is if you think about those kind of flywheels are like a sports car. And what we're trying to develop is more like a freight truck. And sure, they're made of similar things, engine wheels, steering wheel, and so on, but they're actually radically different application and they're constructed totally differently. So we asked ourselves the, the question at the beginning about what's this future application of, around energy storage for the grid and then what's the product suited for that? So we came to it with a fresh way of thinking and that's what led us to the product. I'm sure there'll be some other companies following along in those footsteps and they probably are in the background somewhere and we'll see them soon enough. Right now? <laughs> for sure. <laughs> right now, for sure. And I think one, one key key to success for us is a speed, speed of development. Yeah, That's a good thing to be in China right now at this stage of the company because mm. China has this power to really, we can make things happen quicker. I totally agree with you. China has the power from like the government level, enterprises level, startup level. They all want to go towards this sustainability and efficient usage of energy. So it's definitely good timing. And being a startup in China, you have to just move fast. Otherwise, like all the different reasons that we can know. But also very interesting because you mentioned like you want to move fast, but you also have the patience to launch the product. Say we plan to launch it in 2026. And also like I see you start very internationally. You start from China, but you also have US, Singapore presence or the team. How do you really like starting globally or how do you like grow globally? So I want to hear about what you think about it. Yeah, I think that really reflects the importance of having a mission for the company. We thought about what civilization needs in terms of energy storage, and it told us that the problem is global. So if we're going to bring a solution to the world, the solution has to be global as well. So we quite quickly thought well, that means we have to grow into a big company and we need to produce the product in Europe, US and China that covers most of the market in the world. So that showed us the path. If you've got a mission, it tells you where to go, it tells you how to go about planning the company. So we didn't intend to be a, a big company at the beginning, but once you have a mission, it gives you that pathway. So we always had the intent that we'd have to grow into a global company. So yeah, we started here in China because that's where we are, and we have no reason to suddenly move anywhere else. So we're building the company here to start with, they're doing the research and design and development here in China, but the intent always is to go global. and. We started a Singapore company, really the reason for that is strategic and it's about trying to create a bridge between East and West and make sure that we as a company are accessible to Europe and the US, both from investment front and in terms of talking to customers and so on. So that's definitely strategic. We also started a US company and that was more like a necessity in order to help facilitate crowdfunding, equity crowdfunding. But I'll say we're quite comfortable with doing that, even though we're a startup and there's only a few people involved in the company. It's not normally logical that you would start creating a global footprint, but for us we're quite comfortable with that because that's ultimately where we're going to have to be headed. Yeah. And in the team we have Malcolm, which is a finance expert from a bigger corporation in the uh, in US. And he's, I don't know if we would have dared to, to open so many companies, or to open the US companies or Singapore company right now if he was not on board. To, uh, to really ease up this uh, this process and uh, and take uh, take charge of this uh, this activity so 
so that we can focus on the technical part and the fundraising part and he is taking care of the strategy development and other company needs to evolve as well. So it's the right combination of, of yeah, talents, I would say. Yeah, I know I've been impressed with the, the team that you've built as far as the expertise, especially from the technical side. I think you've, I think you've found experts around the world very willing to work with with the company as it's in this early stage of and it just seems like you've inspired people quite a bit and then I guess that would naturally lead into the capital that it needs to sustain a company like this a big mission like this I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the process to raise funding for the company and on the one hand I imagine the market potential is massive for this right yeah. and so there's a big financial pie downside of course there's also the yeah. doing good which is very important as well yeah. do you, what kind of conversations do you have with people who are looking to invest for example on the return on their investment versus the opportunity to do good for the world how does that conversation go what do people usually ask about and what's that process like i think again here this shows the power of having a mission and people latch on to the idea quite quickly and can see that it's interesting and exciting and it's solving a real world problem that has intrinsic value. So we've been quite encouraged by how people have been interested to get on board with the company. And mm. like you say, global experts who are, have very specific expertise in energy storage monetization or the design of electromagnetic bearings or composites or these various niches who are very interested to talk to us. And yeah. it's wonderful. It's, it's, it's great to have a worthwhile mission because that opens doors for sure. Now, there is mission and I don't know if it's luck or serendipity, but we've been also meeting the right people at the right time for the question we had at that moment. And uh, yeah, it's been really exciting and surprising as well to see that yeah, it's, things are happening without so much effort from us or I don't know how to explain that but yeah there is a I don't know <laughs> good timing good people yeah, yeah good timing good people good mission as well it's very important and yeah we were aware of that though at the beginning of the year springtime where we started to talk to people about getting funding mm. we thought hang on a second we really think we've got a good product here and we know the market's massive we know that the mission behind the product makes sense and resonates with people. And in our naivety, we thought, therefore, we should be able to raise funds relatively easy compared to a company who's doing yet another social media app or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, so we yeah. thought, oh, forget these guys. We'll be able to jump past these other pointless companies and get some really good venture capital. But it's definitely a naive thought because at the end of the day, it doesn't. even if you do have these great building blocks, there's still the same hurdles that you would have to overcome. Yeah. Nobody's going to disregard their requirements for investing in a company. So they still want to see, do you have your intellectual property tied down? Mm -hmm. Do you have your prototype? Do you have your team in place? Yeah. These various things. And you have to put those in place before anybody's really going to seriously talk to you about investing. Yeah. So that's been a learning curve for us. Mm -hmm. We're first-time founders, even though we're both in our 40s and got a few gray hairs now. It's a new process for us. So it's taken longer to, well, it's taking longer to raise money than we honestly expected. Yeah. And 
it has meant we've spent a lot less time on the product than we really expected. That's our area of expertise, working on the design and development, engineering and so on of the product. But this whole year has been taken up with trying to raise money. It's been a real... That's, uh, every, com- yeah, that's every company's story. <laughs> exactly. Particularly <laughs> this year yeah. where the economy has just uh, gone yeah. down and uh, venture capital has been much harder to come by. So yeah, it's definitely a learning curve for us. You know, we've heard recently in Singapore, like the VCs are quite active when to invest in the green energy and the sustainable mm. companies. That's yeah. quite a big trend. Especially the government-backed uh, ones, I think. Right? Yeah, government-backed yeah. ones as well as private VC, because they usually think, as you said, the mission, and that's the thing the whole world is trying to solve the problem. Yeah. So with the market and the potential, it's much bigger than a local-based product. So we met those, we met those VCs that are specialized on the maybe seed startups on the renewable or let's say with a sustainability action and etc but those 20 VCs we've been talking to more or less 20 the feedback they have is what Mike said is it's interesting you have a good product you have an excellent team you have the mission is great but you don't have a prototype you don't have you don't have patents so mm. that's exactly what we are working on right now mm. is build that up and uh, we decided to raise money for, for to pay for this uh, this activity uh, using WeFunder, so crowdfunding. Mm-hmm. And so we are on the beginning of this this platform. We're going to release in probably two weeks the raising for WeFunder, and we decided which may to actually be when the time this episode comes out for people who are <laughs> listening. <laughs> right. Yeah. So the crowdfunding. Why we decided to go that way? It's a very democratic way to raise funds. You can the platform basically allows you to to gather investment from two hundred dollar up to thousands, hundred thousands of dollar from any kind of investors, any kind, any anywhere in the world. And uh, it's a great way for us to gather our friends and family investing into one platform that's going to at the end end up in one line on the cap table so it's very open for everybody and it allows us also to create a network or a group of people that are understand the mission and want want to help us achieving this mission Mm. and we believe we're going to be successful so it's a great way to to give this opportunity also to to others and uh, take advantage of our success when we are successful and WeFunder, I think, is open to very standard market investment contracts, right? I think, like, for example, the SAFE, which was, I believe, you guys are using, pioneered by Y Combinator. So a larger investor would also f- find the investment contract quite uh, what they're used to. Yeah, that's right. They offer different options, like yeah, you mentioned SAFE, a convertible note, or equi- even equity. We decided yeah. to go with SAFE because we are a very young startup, so it's very difficult for us to define a valuation yeah. right now. We believe on the next stage of funding where we're going to build the full-scale prototype, we're going to need more money. So it's probably money that's going to come from partially or totally from VCs. There we will have a valuation that's going to be much more fair and much more uh, honest than the one we would have defined by ourselves. So not having a valuation is honest and safe for the investors. Yeah, I do believe. Yeah, yeah, it'll be pegged to the next uh, to the next round. Yeah. Exactly. 
with some advantages. Right. Yeah. Earlier, early, early adopter, early investor advantages. So what, what do you guys see on the product development side as the next challenge you're faced with, the next milestones you're looking at, next hurdles to jump off? As Louis mentioned, the next thing that we're going to be doing is actually quite exciting, which is our first major prototype. Right now, we have the design in concept in 3D CAD, and we're in the process of making a small model just to test out some ideas around the bearing and so on. But what we're quite excited about is making a, a prototype that's going to be it's much smaller than the real product, which is nine meters tall. This is just going to be two meters tall, but nonetheless, it's going to be quite a big object and it'll be quite fun to get all the systems working together, the rotor, the bearings, mm -hmm. the motor generator, and so on. And because we're in China, we think we can do that quite fast. There's a good network of prototyping suppliers, and we think we can get the parts together and build that up in the next six months. So we're quite keen to get that money, initial money from the WeFunder platform as soon as we can so we can start order the parts and, and complete the design for that. So we can't wait for that. That's what designers, engineers really care about is getting something in the real world and mm. being able to play with it. So that's, that's super exciting. Proof of concept then, Exactly, right? yeah. So really the point of that is it's partly for engineering reasons so we can really test out our ideas and prove that they work. But secondly, it's to demonstrate that we can execute on the design and actually build something that works, mm -hmm. convince people that we have a solution and a technology that's going to be successful, mm -hmm. and then that, we hope, is going to open the door to further investment, and that's going to lead on some big prototypes around this time next year. Hey guys, one kind of maybe a little elephant in the room might be, we're all here in China, and as we know, China and the rest of the world, particularly China and the US, are key developers of technology and has been quite competitive both on the economic relationship and especially on the development of leading technologies in different fields, including clean energy. China sees that as a competitive advantage long term, I think, to be a, a leader in that space. Do you, what do you guys think about that kind of, do you get that kind of question from anyone? Do you get the kind of, a, do you have to deal with that issue at all, the perception that you're building this in China? Yeah, it's definitely a question that comes up. I think a typical North American investor just doesn't really want to invest in a China company. And we're cognizant of that. And from our side, as I mentioned, our mission is to be a global company solving a global problem. So we always wanted investment to represent that as well, to come from North America, to come from Europe, and, and come from Asia as well. So we've set that up so that we don't intend to be, or so we intend to be a, a global company. And the investment is initially going to come into the US Topco. And at the beginning, some of that's, most of that will be spent in China as we develop the first prototype. But really our center of gravity is going to quite quickly shift to Europe where we're going to set up the first tooling, the first large-scale prototypes. Mm -hmm. And if we do manufacturing ourselves, then that will be our first production line. Mm -hmm. um, so it's really important that we're in China because China is the biggest market in the world for energy storage. So we're quite happy that we have our roots in China. Mm -hmm. But there's going to be a middle period where we'll be more focused on being a European company yeah. or a US company. And then once the design is settled and the production is stable, we're going to kind of loop, loop back to China and uh, make that one of our biggest markets. There's also uh, opportunities um, of uh, access to competence that we want to, uh, to scale as well. For example, in US, we, uh, we would like to develop a center of research for material. Material is a key enabler for us and trying to find a new material to enable cheaper or stronger, faster, more rotational speed 
Faster rotational speed for the rotor is key. We are keen to develop partnership with a university like MIT and develop a research center in, in the US. In Europe, as Mike said, is where we plan to have our prototype and maybe our first factory. That's very difficult to say right now. We don't know where it's going to be. It might be in US, it might be in, in, in Europe. For China, it's very important. Our footprint in China is quite key because we're going to use one one component that primarily is sourced from China is permanent magnets. And having this, this Chinese entity will also help us to have access to this, uh, to mm. this supply chain. So it's quite strategic as well. And uh, last but not least, the way we want to attack the China market, we're aware that China is a very special way to make business, and to, especially when you are dealing with energy that is a state-owned kind of business. So you need a lot of uh, relationships and a lot of contacts to be able to, to make a business in this area. So we're probably going to partner with a local Chinese company to develop the business here and focus ourselves on the development of the business in Europe and in USA. And the IP is all being, the patents are being oh, filed yeah. outside of, out globally, right? Excellent question. Yes, the IP actually is going is is to be fine in the international patent Got it. agency. And uh, we want the patent to be easily separated. Because if we work with a China entity, we want this China entity to be able to operate with the IP only mm. accessible for, the, for, for China. And mm. therefore, having the IP that can be used partially in in China or and for this joint venture and for others or other partnership or developing ourselves the technology in US and, uh, and Europe. Hey Mike and Luik, it's been so much fun to talk with you. I know Gene and I really have had a blast and I think this you've educated some of the audience. I'm sure some of the audience is very familiar with what the what you're the problem you're trying to solve and the concepts you've discussed, but for many of us it's it's quite new and exciting. So I want to thank you for joining us here and it, People are inspired by what you're doing, want to reach out for whatever reason you are fundraising, I know. Also, I know you're looking for good people to work with. What's the best way for them to reach out and contact you after they listen to the show? Honestly, the best way to figure out a bit more about the company is to go straight to WeFunder mm -hmm. because there is a video there that gives you a quick introduction. It's got images of the product. You get very familiar with it quite quickly. And you'll see myself and Luigi's face on the page. And if you click on that, it will take us take you through to our LinkedIn pages. So mm -hmm. you can actually contact us directly through that. Simple thing is just go to WeFunder. So that's WeFunder.com. And you can search for Qnetic, Q-N-E-T-I-C, Qnetic. Yeah, you can also go on LinkedIn. We have a LinkedIn page with the company and just type Qnetic, search that and add us in your contact. And we'll be happy to discuss and uh, yeah, be Great. in touch. Okay. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you both coming on the show.